What's an M. Night? M. Night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly. Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He you always puts I mean? some like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in The Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Hello and welcome to the M. Night Shift, the podcast where we review and discuss the career of M. Night Shyamalan. I know that guy. I'm AJ Gonzalez, uh, your co-host, video store clerk and movie blogger. And I'm Brian Connolly, also a co-host. Oh boy. Right. Today's episode, uh, The Last Airbender, is one I'm excited to do. (laughs) Because you've never seen this movie before. No, I've never seen it before, ever. Gosh, well, that let's jump into that. But first, we have our scotch of the of the day, like we always have, and this is a special one. We got our first ever actual fan of our show. We won't say his name, but he'll know who he is. I guess because we won't say his name because he got us a very very fancy bottle scotch through some questionable means. I don't know, a shady means, a secret means. We will not divulge how we got it. But we are drinking a McKellen 18, by far the fanciest scotch we will ever have on this show, probably, unless we both you know, become millionaires within the next few months. You never know what could happen. It could happen. Win the lotto, find a bag of money, you know, get, get into drugs. Um, but yeah, the McKellen Highland Single Mutt Scotch Whiskey, 18 years old, exclusively matured and selected sherry oak casks from, how do you say that, Jerez, Spain? Yeah, I did it. All right. So it's one of, you know it's a fancy scotch because it comes in a box. And, you know, $5 scotches don't come in boxes, but this one does. Um, there is a lot. Usually we read the story. There is literally like a Russian novel on the back of this box. That is very small that print. That is so small and it's so much. So let's see if there's any highlights. Let's just see. Uh, I'm not going to read this whole thing. Ah, okay. Respected and admired by the world's most sophisticated and discerning whiskey drinkers, that's us, the McKellen remains the single malt against which all others must be judged. This peerless, rep- this peerless reputation has been built by the masters of spirit and wood. That sounds very J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> uh, Thus, craftsmen at the heart of the McKellen since it was legally licensed in 1824. So there's a lot of info. I, I think... I'm going to not read all this. There's, it's, you know, I'll just read the highlights. Here we go. It is from Easter Elchi's house. Oh, no. I think I said that right. Uh, curiously, small stills, just because it's a uniquely shaped copper still, helps to concentrate the flavor of the new make spirit. The finest cuts, exceptional oak casts, natural colors, and a peerless, it is a peerless spirit. Um, anyways, let's just try this. Okay, let's try it. Right. Now that we've had our ice melt a bit, so the water's working with it, which makes this scotch taste better. Why is that, AJ? Why does water... I don't know anything about science. So I once listened that? to a podcast about that, and I forgot why. <laughs> Chemicals? Mmm. Wow. It's a lot of flavor. Yeah. What is, what is the difference, you notice, this, this being a much fancier scotch than anyone that we've had before? I think there's a lot of different tastes. Like when you start drinking it, and then it has a really good finish. It's not, yeah, it's not, it doesn't just taste like pure alcohol. 
Yeah, it has uh, it has like undertones of flavor, and the uh, the it doesn't have the overwhelming burning flavor of alcohol of uh, of your lesser expensive bottles of scotch and bourbon. I've always admired people who can have food or drink and actually talk about it in a smart way. I am not one of those people. I'll drink a wine and go, "Yep, that's good." <laughs> But I couldn't tell you what all the different, you know, intricate uh, notes are. But gosh, this is tasty. Maybe is it either it's a celebration or we've wasted our finest alcohol on this episode for the last Airbender. It's very uh, smooth. It's got a very smooth <laughs> feel to it. Um, it's easy to drink. Mm-hmm. Not like uh, not like your cheaper ones, which are you know you have to like psych yourself up for. But it's sad. Power through. It's dangerous, though, that the easiest one to drink is the most expensive because then you're like the one that I should have saved for like when my son is born or like for my father's funeral or my 50th wedding anniversary or whatever, you know, special occasion or a, a life moment that requires, you know, alcohol aid. But you just want to slam it in one night because it tastes better than the $10 bottle of scotch. But luckily, we have a backup scotch, which we will. Uh, talk about when we get to that moment once we finish this glass because we promised that we would just have one glass and then stop with the McKellen 18 because it's just too darn fancy. We'll save it for uh, our 50th uh, year of doing this podcast when we're old men. That sounds good. Right? We'll yeah. let it age on a shelf. Okay. <laughs> so, last airbender, who is it? Who's, is it your turn to describe uh, this episode? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, it is my turn. Good luck because this is maybe the most complicated. Uh, unnecessarily complicated uh, plot, but maybe give us the Cliff's Notes version of the plot of The Last Airbender. Right. And I don't know about you, but I went to this having never seen the cartoon ever, so I didn't even have that. Like, I'm sure some 10-year-old like knows the cartoon well, and then the movie you know made perfect sense to them. However, me being fresh to this world of the of Avatar The Last Airbender, which they didn't call the movie that probably because there's another movie, I think, called Avatar that did okay at the box office, so they, they couldn't call it that. So we just have The Last Airbender. So go through this complicated plot. All right, so it starts out with uh, a scroll, a legend on the screen, which is then also read to us, which is something I just don't like. I feel like the movie's already in trouble if we see words <laughs> on the screen and they are being read to us. <laughs> so that uh, sets up something. It's a lot of information up front. It's a lot. It's not like the Star Wars crawl. And then it uh, starts out in the southern water islands, which is uh, all icy. And this uh, brother and sister, they're out you know, hunting and... Their dad is away in the war. He was killed in the war. Just the war. <laughs> and then they find in a block of ice this uh, bald 10-year-old boy. And they like, get him out of the ice. It turns out his name is Ang, And he's the last airbender. Uh, so in this fantasy world, there are like four different lands corresponding to the four different elements. So the water land, which is mostly ice, there's the earth land, uh, there's the air land, and then there's the fire land, which is where all the bad guys are. 
uh, someone said it was like the uh, like the Slytherin house in Harry <laughs> Potter. It's just like that's just like they're just all bad guys. That's that's how it is. Uh, yeah, and so there's no more Airbenders, but this guy can bend air. And the girl, her name is Katara. I thought her brother was calling her Chitara, which uh, was kind of confusing for a minute. But it made me think about the Thundercats. <laughs> oh, man. So. <laughs> See, it's so complicated. Watching the movie, I couldn't follow it. And this is a movie for children. And I'm, like, racking my brain trying to make the, figure out what the heck's going on. So they go back to the ice village, and then some fire people show up in a, uh, like, a clipper ship. And they're led by Dev Patel, who's playing, like, over-the-top evil. He's, like, yelling a lot and acting kind of crazy. And he says to, like, bring me your elderly. He wants all the old people because he's out looking for the Avatar, the last airbender, who is the only person that can control all four elements and bring balance to the force or something. Uh, and he thinks that because the last airbender disappeared over a hundred years ago, that it's going to be an old person. But instead, it's this little boy, but the tattoos he has are like the tattoos the airbender is supposed to have. So they take him on the ship, and then it's like, oh, yeah, we're bad guys. So the kid, Aang, he escapes by kind of slowly jumping over Dev Patel and then using his air powers to, like, blow himself away. <laughs> and he meets back up with the uh, with the brother, the water brother and sister. And they keep going to different lands with the fire people chasing after him. The movies basically catch that kid, but it's a very slow chase. So they go to the air land because Aang won't accept that he's been frozen for a hundred years. So he's like, oh yeah, all my friends are here. And it's filled with this kind of like flying lemur that you say is extinct, but there's thousands of them over this hill. And he gets there and it's just a bunch of bones. And then they go to the Earthland and he frees a bunch of earthbenders. And then they go back to the Waterland, the North Waterlands, which is even more ice. And there they meet this uh, young princess. And there's some magical fish. <laughs> and they glow. They have like a little glow. They glow. They're supposed to be yeah. like the yin and yang and the souls of the universe. Uh, Asef Manvi is the like lead general of the fire people. He's obsessed with like finding, seeing magic and with killing this magic fish. And so he kills the magic fish and the sun goes black or goes red for a little bit. And then the silver haired princess like gives her soul to the fish and then she becomes the fish or sure. something. <clears throat> yeah. And then, uh, the kid has learned to bend water. Because before this, he could only bend air, even though he's supposed to know how to bend all of them. But then he found out of like the pressures of being the last of being the last airbender, being the avatar. And so he ran away, and that's when he got frozen. But he's learned how to bend water, and so he uh, makes a big tidal wave that washes out all the bad guys. And uh, that's about it. And then it's like, hey, all right, he knows how to bend water. So in the next movie, he'll learn how to bend something else. And we're still waiting for the next movie. 
seven years later. <laughs> it's there's like so much happens in this movie, but it's a very not exciting movie, and there's so much exposition. This movie is just exposition galore. <clears throat> Do you think that because uh, there's not just the person? So the 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 main girl, what what's her name again? Chitara. Katara. Katara reads the scroll at the beginning. Correct. Is yeah. Her voice. And then you hear her kind of throughout the movie occasionally during narration. Do you think that was added later? Do you think they were watching the movie and said, this is fucking confusing. We need someone to explain some of this stuff. I wouldn't be Let's surprised. Let's just add that in later just to kind of give, give it some context and maybe make us not so confused. It kind of felt like a, maybe a post-production uh, add-on. I wouldn't be surprised if it was added in later. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if the... Uh title cards uh, explaining where they where, are yeah. rather in later. And Shyamalan has never done narration in a movie before. Is that true? Or was, um, was, was the one with the Robert Loja, was that one, did that one have narration? I don't think that you know, one No, I don't remember now. But none of the post-Sixth Sense, none of those movies have had a narrator. Mm, right? No. No, they haven't. Yeah. The Lady in the Water had a preamble yeah which uh, also felt like, like a thing to explain the thing because people were confused yeah and like this, this listening to you explain this long boring complicated you know multi-character plot i think just points out immediately the biggest problem with this movie is that shemlin had no right making a movie like this he's so out of his element this is so the opposite of what he is good at and the types of things that he makes which are more intimate, smaller versions of a bigger thing. Like, that's what's so good about <clears throat> Signs, is it's an alien invasion movie, but told from the point of view of this one family in their home, mostly. And then Unbreakable is the superhero movie, but kind of told through this regular guy and more of his sort of, like, his little life, and you kind of follow him around, and there's not a bad guy taking over the whole world. It's more like he goes after, like, this local evil things around him that he feels in the air. And then this movie is like this big, grand, post-Lord of the Rings sort of like epic that was going to be like three movies. And I feel like that is not the type of story that Shemline is good at telling. Like that's not the type of movie he should ever be making. It's not. And I mean, so of course, Aang is the, uh, or Ong? I think it was Aang. He's the main character, but he doesn't feel like the main character. And the girl, Katara, played by Nicola Peltz. From the most recent of Transformers movies. She's yes. Mark Wahlberg's hot daughter. She <laughs> feels like the main character because she's narrating and we first meet her. But then she also then disappears for big swaths of the movie. The bad guys aren't the main characters. And there's no one really to latch on to emotionally. <clears throat> zero. There's zero emotion when felt. And like I think you're supposed to feel something at the end when he makes this, this when he's making these decisions. The airbender, last airbender. But you don't feel anything. And I think it's also not helped that none of the actors in this movie are very good at what they're doing. Like, they're except not. for like Dev Patel is a we know a good actor, but here he's just really hammy. Well, Dev Patel, um, Cliff Curtis, who plays the King Fire Lord, he's a good actor. He's been yeah. in he's been in a million movies. And the dude from The Daily Show. Asif Monby, who, I mean, he's 
very ener- he was very energetic on the daily show he was in the brink which overall was an okay to not good series but it had good performers in it and he was one of the good performers he was in um todd solens's dark horse which that was it's a dark comedy but he had more of like a serious role and he was good in that that made yeah. kid though like he he feels like a contest winner. See, I think he kind of is. When you watch the making of, he's like, oh, he knew martial arts really well, which he does. And in his class, people always said, oh, you look like the kid from the Last Airbender cartoon. So he always had his head shaved. And then he went into audition for this movie and then like hung out with M. Night for a month and then got the part. But he clearly is not an actor. Like, he clearly isn't a trained actor. He probably took some classes, you know, knowing he's going to be in this movie, but he doesn't. Like, compare him to Haley Joel Osment, you're like, whoa, no, this guy can't cut it. He does he does a lot of, uh, you, feel, you can tell when you watch the movie, it feels like he feels lucky that he's in this movie. Like, he's like, no, it's like, whoa, this is like quite a vacation. This is quite a ride being the star of this movie. Yeah, the acting, his acting <laughs> style, and, you know, not to pick on him, him being a, a kid at the time, uh, but yeah, his acting style is very. Just kind of like loud. Oh, I'm telling you what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, <laughs> loud, overmoding. It's the same kind. It's the same kind of kid <laughs> acting you would get in like the school play, which would be fine for the school play. And you're like, well, that's just how kids act, except for the ones that are like naturally good at acting or that mm-hmm. have been trained, like uh, Haley Joel Osment or your Culkins. Yeah, you know, kids that can be energetic, but but quiet. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, he doesn't, this doesn't work. Um, yeah, for a $200 million movie. It was, was $150 million budget. Gosh, that's a lot of money. And what's crazy is the movie, you can tell, it's one of those weird big box office movies where you can tell they spend a lot of money, but it looks cheap. Like, it looks like Mortal Kombat 2. Even though it cost $150 million. But the sets look like crappy sets. The CGI doesn't look finished. Yeah, the, the CGI is not impressive. Um, so when they uh, when they bend, you know, what the element of the land where they're from, it's uh, the effects not very visually exciting. And then also this like it's just not a good fighting style, because you have to do like choreography to summon up the element and then throw it and then have the other person wait for for the attack to come to them. <laughs> Why don't they just jump out of the way? <laughs> they had all that time. You know, left the room. Happen, but, and so it made me feel like oh like this was almost like a video game, like Mortal Kombat, where all the characters they had special moves and they like had this you know little uh thing they would do before they did their special power. Yeah, and that takes up time in a fight. It wouldn't be really practical. (laughs) But, you know, it's a PG kids movie, so it's like an anti-violent way to do a big movie of martial arts is you have people on each side of the room making ice cubes and water (laughs) fly around. But yeah, the kid, not the best. But on the making of it, it seemed like he had a great time. So he'll have a great memory. Hopefully he won't take to heart. That the movie was a monumental failure, <laughs> and he never never worked again. Um, yeah, so the movie is not just kind of boring; it's very boring. 
but it also has a lot of just sort of it's it's like it's, it was shocking to me when I found out that like James Newton Howard did the soundtrack because it's so bland. Like every soundtrack he's done with for Shyamalan before this has been so good, even in the crappy movies. Like the happening, the soundtrack is really, really good. Like it's always the yeah. best part of the, a lot of these movies. Oh yeah, it really the score stands out. It's memorable. And I it's think it's nothing I can hum right yeah. now, but I remember the violin from the village, which is the best part of the movie. Yeah. I think the soundtrack of the village is the best part. And on this movie, the soundtrack is not. There's nothing there. To really, that really stands out, and I was shocked when I saw his name at the end because I was like, "Oh, he must have had to get some studio for hire guy for this bigger movie." I was like, no, it's just it's still the same guy he's always worked with, but it just doesn't. It's just sort of lacking in that, and it's also lacking sort of in the visual. It doesn't feel like if you didn't tell me, like I would have no, had no idea that M Night directed this movie. Like it doesn't have his. There's one moment at the beginning. Where the lady is looking into the camera, which they first find the last airbender, they do that kind of weird, kind of Jonathan Demi Otsu look in the camera thing that Shyamalan does in a lot of his movies. And there are long takes of CGI people flying over people, like kind of, or like stunts, you know, going on in a long take, but it still doesn't have quite the style. It doesn't really have a lot of style to it that all his other movies have had. It just feels like anyone could have made this movie, honestly. Like it doesn't have a lot of his stamp did you find anything in there that you felt like was his you can tell that it was him no no not even the um the scenes where the kid has visions and talks to this dragon which should be mystical and magical but they're just confusing (laughs) Uh, they don't help explain anything i forgot that they were even in there until just now and this movie was shot by Andrew Lesney, who shot all of the Lord of the Rings movies. Which are great looking movies. Yeah. This one is not. It's not, and I'm sure it looked even worse in the theaters. It was 3D, mm-hmm. but was added in later. Mm-hmm. So the movie it did not look good because it wasn't shot in 3D. So it had like a very dark look to it. As... I hate it when things like that's what the original Thor was like. When you saw Thor in the theater, it was the made to 3D later, and so it just it's hard to tell what's going on because it just seems kind of with through the glasses. It seems dark because they didn't know to make it brighter for the new digital mm-hmm. 3D stuff. Yeah, well, I'm wondering why I couldn't figure out in the making of and this movie. This DVD has like an endless amount of special features, the Blu-ray at least, that I couldn't figure out why this is the movie that Shyamalan made. It definitely deals with faith in a way, which is a theme in a lot most of his movies, in this kind of way where this kid has to, you know, this sort of Buddhist, almost Buddhist type of kid uh, has to learn sort of this way of being and this, you know, way to, you know, work with the world uh, to to bend all these things. Uh, But it doesn't I don't know. I wonder if he just, because of the kind of the failure that was the happening uh, critically, maybe he thought like, well, maybe it's time for me to make my big Hollywood. Like I, because he wants to be Spielberg. He loves Spielberg. So maybe he thought it was time for him to, okay, I'm done doing the horror thing. I'm done doing this thing. I'm done doing what you expect from me. Um, no, I'm not, I'm going to make a movie that isn't what you'd expect from the guy who made The Sixth Sense. I'm going to make my big like, I bet he was hoping this was going to be his franchise. This was going to be his Lord of the Rings. This was going to be his Indiana Jones. Like, his 
series of movies, his Transformers, and make the Airbender movies. And definitely everybody, when you watch the making of, seems very excited about it and seems very confident this is going to be like just an exciting, great thing because they love the cartoon and they're going to make this movie of this great cartoon. And really, yeah, it was a, a beloved, uh, beloved, extremely popular cartoon that like kids watched it, adults watched it. It ran for I don't know if it was still on when the movie yeah. uh, when the movie was made, but it had like five seasons and a spinoff. It was a yeah really popular show, so I can see how uh, yeah you would be excited to be on the you know, the big screen version, the live action version of this well loved cartoon, and it's a M Night Shyamalan who's a big name, but his name was not used to advertise this movie. I know, it's also... Because, uh, yeah, he had been... The Village, The Happening, Lady in the Water, so his name wasn't as much of a draw as it was. Like, so it didn't make... His name didn't make its way above the title like it had with those other movies. And there's no opening credits with his name at the beginning. You have to wait till the very end of the movie for it to say his name. Yeah, they did not... They did not let anyone know that he made this movie. (laughs) Yeah, but the studios, I guess, were still... Still thought he was, like, a bankable, reliable filmmaker to, like, give him this big budget movie, this... Like the happening had a budget of forty-eight million, and you go like, then you go up to one hundred and fifty million with the last year. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but there probably was a lot of studio control over this movie. Definitely more studio control, the less uh, the less of a, an auteurist vision gets through. But with some with a property like this, where everything's already been set up through you know the source material. There's not a lot of room to uh, add your own creative, your own creative flair to it. Otherwise, you're not making Avatar: The Last Airbender. You're making like M Night Shyamalan's version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What do you think went wrong with the movie? Because the movie was not only a critical failure. Like it, I think it won raspberries. Or it was like a hated movie. Yeah, it won a lot of yeah. raspberries yeah. and uh, the golden razzies uh, given for worst movies. Uh, they happened the day after the Oscars. Uh, I think it was named like worst movie of the year on like a lot of end of the year lists that year. It has like a six on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Out of what? A hundred? Yeah, out of a hundred. <laughs> And it was also a box office failure. It like did not make its 150 back. Now domestically, uh, it made 131 million. That's not bad. It's not bad. It's uh, not. But it's not good. It's not. It's not more than spend they spend that much on the movie. Yeah, it's like, not more really than they spend. That it was going to be a uh, big thing. What do you think went wrong with it? Like, what have you seen the cartoon? No, I never have. Um, like, it was just. Not something I was interested in. I think it's there's a lot of problems the movie has. One is that it's never fun. It's sort of a humorless. It is a humorless movie. And Shyamalan has always been good at having little touches of humor in his films, even his most serious ones. Like there is stuff in there that's funny. And this, there's nothing funny going on. There's no jokes. There's nothing that's like lighthearted going on. You have you know these little creatures. You have little CG dudes and like the big kind of Falcor type guy sliding around on it and stuff. 
but it never has a feeling of fun. Like even the Lord of the Rings movies, which get really heavy and like Shakespearean, uh, has a lot of fun to it. And I think they kind of forgot to have a good time. I don't know if they were so wrapped up in trying to make it like a cartoon or like, you know, like make it have They're this whole story or probably something. Probably so wrapped up in, in setting everything up. Yeah, because it, it's an intro movie, too, which is also never good, which is, you know, another big movie that failed that was uh, going to be a series of The Golden Compass was another movie that they had high hopes for. I thought it was going to be this whole... Did that come out around the same time? as this? When did that come out? Like, was that uh, around late aughts? Mid-aughts? No, that was maybe mid-aughts. I feel like I was still in college when that movie it's always happened. Sa- yeah, it's always sad when you have your first movie and you're so worried about setting everything up you forget to make a movie that's just kind of good on its own. Like, all the good franchises, the first movie holds its own as its own thing. So, like, the first Star Wars movie, great. You don't have to never see the ones after. You don't have to, because that first movie is good and self-contained. Raised a Lost Dark. Even the first Harry Potter movie, it's you know not as good as the other ones that came after it. But it still works as its own little thing. If you only saw that, you would be fine. You know, you'd get the whole story. But when you have a movie like this or like the most recent uh, Fantastic Four movie where it's just – you're just setting it up. It's just to set up the story and you have all this like, well, this person's got to do this and he's got to do this and you got to make this person. And, and then at the end you're like, wait a minute, you forgot to make a movie that's worth anything because you're so worried about what the other – the next one and the one after is going to be like. You forgot to make a good thing. Like it's a good – like a good TV pilot can stand on its own. Like if you watch the first episode of Sopranos and Breaking Bad, it works as its own movie. Like you, you get that there's going to be more after that and you kind of get the premise that it's setting up. But it's not just the premise. Like you still have this complete, you have a complete story in there. You have like characters that like you, you understand what's going on. You're not waiting and expecting it to be later on. Humor, humorless movie, weird casting. I, I, I get that they're trying to do this like multicultural thing with every different type of race and person in it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of how a planet works and where people live. Because it's like, why are these two white kids hanging out in this Eskimo colony? And they're like the whitest of kids. Like they are like blondie, you know, like light brown hair, like blue eyed type, like white people living in this Eskimo world. Why is that? I'm confused. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, was that supposed to be like Europe where the white people are? And then the Earthland was where all the black people are. There was a deleted scene where they like did like a dance number or something, yeah. which was weird. And uh, glad it got cut from the movie. I guess Air World is supposed to be Asian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a scene where he meets another like Air person, and the Air person shows him into the chamber, <clears> and then he betrays him. He's like, oh, well, you know, and then, and then <laughs> the other guy leaves again. the room. Yeah. And then Fire World is all the browns, like all the different shades of brown. <laughs> and they're the bad guys. And they're the bad guys. So if you're, yeah. in the, if you're Indian, and in a weird way, it's like that's the most diverse group because Asef Manvi and Dev Patel are in Fire World. They're both uh, they're both Indian. Dev Patel's uncle, played by Sean Tobe, is uh, Iranian, and 
uh, Cliff Curtis is uh, of Maori descent. Yeah. So there's just all kinds, all kinds of brown. And it's uh, also like, we just need brown people. <laughs> and they can only be the bad guys. And yeah. I'll tell you more than the bad guys because their skin is darker than everybody else. Yeah, but I mean, they're from Fireland, you know, so they're, they're going to be more tan because they're always playing with the fire. <laughs> They're also the only <clears throat> people that use machines. Yeah. They have, like, ships. Well, it's like they're the industrial age versus, you know, everybody else. But it is weird that, like, the, the main people, though, still have to be white, basically. Yeah, and the like, kid the is, kid is so white. He's white. Like, he's not Asian. He's not an Asian kid. I guess I read he's, like, supposedly a little bit Native American in there somewhere. But he just looks like a white kid. And then the other two kids in the Eskimo place are very white kids. And then the princess of the ice place looks like, you know, like a 90s teen star. She looks like a, you know, she looks like Britney Spears or something like that uh, with this weird bleach blonde hair, um, which you can tell is definitely not her real hair color. Her name, uh, <laughs> her name is Seychelle Gabriel, and she actually does... A voice of a character in The Legend of Korra, hmm. which is a spinoff of The Last Airbender. Sure. <laughs> Another thing about this movie that struck me was I felt that a lot of it reminded me of the very boring parts of the uh, of the la- the second trilogy of Star Wars movies. It had that kind of like Attack of the Clones oh. boredom to it, where it just sort of is like a lot of CGI. Or just clearly green screen and then just like stale dialogue that's all exposition and you just want to die. <laughs> you just don't want to be there anymore. Then listen to this stuff. It, uh, it's sad because Shyamalan wrote this movie. He wrote it. It's not like some hacks wrote it. Like a real actual person who does it right wrote this. And I know it was sort of a big task to kind of make this big thing. But yeah, I think he's just too wrapped up in plot. Yeah, the dialogue is like clunky and... Dumb, I guess it is fine in a kid's movie if you are a kid watching it. You're not going to notice how bad the dialogue is and how badly delivered it is. But this is a bad kid's movie. I think it's one of those bad kid's movies that even kids would know. The kids are smart. If I was a kid and I was watching this, I would know this movie is no good, guys. <clears throat> and it, I think it is proven because... Uh, this movie didn't make a lot of money. Because if you want to make a movie make a lot of money, make a good movie for kids, and then every kid will go see it. Or even make a mediocre movie for kids. Like, look how much all the Shrek movies made. Those movies aren't very good, but they make a lot of money. But even kids were bored by this. This movie doesn't rent. Nobody wants this movie anymore. Um, I can't see a kid sitting through this. I think they'd be bored to tears by most of it. They would rather watch... Like they, it's, and it's not a matter of the length or the scope. Like, they can handle Lord of the Rings and, like, the five-hour-long, you know, Captain America movies and stuff like that. But uh, I think this movie just doesn't have anything going on and nobody would fall for it. Nobody, no, no adult or child would want it. Um, I could barely make it through this movie. It was so boring. I was so bored. And I just was waiting for it to end. And, I was just like, and it kept going and it kept going. And I kept thinking, is this going to be the end? Please be the end. And it isn't a long movie. It's not a very long movie. No, it's like an hour 40. It's like an hour 40, but it feels like a long movie. It feels long because there are so many scene changes in it. There's a lot of stuff that happens in it, but it's stuff that doesn't matter. 
or has no effect on the story or has no effect on engaging you with the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just exposition after exposition of like Dev Patel, who is exiled from the Fire Kingdom. So he's trying to find the last airbender to like win his way back into the Fire Kingdom. And so, okay, he's exiled. And then he he asks this uh, random boy, it's like, hey, like, you know about the exiled Fire Kingdom prince? He's like, yeah, of course. And he starts to tell the story. And then Patel interrupts him to tell the story himself. <laughs> and there's a flash. Then not only does he tell the story, then there's little flashbacks of the story. Like, it, it could have been a short but well-written little monologue. But it, uh, and the best scene in the movie actually didn't make it in the movie. It's on the deleted scenes, and it feels like a scene from M. Night Shyamalan movie, where the last airbender goes to see like a fortune-telling witch doctor type lady. Did you watch? Did you watch the scene? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and she's uh, clearly a phony, and she's clearly making it up. It's in Earthland. Yeah, and it's just sort of like this awkward. Fun, and it was a fun, this funny moment where this lady is trying to pull this bullshit on this kid and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm totally like, are you? The name starts with, and she's not getting it right." But because of who this kid is, he actually is able to get – she does actually channel one of the people that he needs to talk to, like one of his elders from his um, monastery, talks through her. And then she comes out of it totally shocked and surprised that it actually works for the first time ever. And then she kind of like plays like as if – you know, she's just like, what, uh, what, 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 am I, what am I talking about? And I think that scene was good. That felt like a scene from an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, it like had some character to it. It was funny, uh, and it actually served a purpose uh, for the film. And then, unfortunately, it was cut out of the movie. <laughs> and uh, I wonder how much more stuff was cut out like that because I think he wrote a really long script. I think they said like in the making of it was like a two hundred plus page screenplay, and then they were like, "Well, slow down. Like this is going to be three movies. You can you know take some of this stuff out." And let's, you know, like, just go through the, let's get to the next one. Um, And I bet they cut out more of those intimate, kind of nice, you know, those nicely written moments. Because this movie does not have any of those. And the finished movie does not. Um, I'm going to say this is definitely the worst movie we've seen so far. It's, um, it's bad. And worst of all, it's uh, not even bad in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. The way the happening is bad in a very interesting way. Or, uh, you know, the village, it's, you know, it's not good, but there's some interesting stuff in it. Uh, The devil, which, or devil, which he only wrote the story for and produced, that's kind of campy. Yeah. It's like campy, low-budget horror, so you're not really expecting much. Mm -hmm. But this, uh, yeah. It's bad in the way that a big bloated movie that stinks stinks. <laughs> it's like it's like watching John Carter. When you watch John Carter, you're like, gosh, what an ugly, boring, stupid movie that costs way too much money with no character at all to it. Where it feels it feels bland and unexciting and when the climax happens and it's supposed to be this big you know, impressive thing that's supposed to leave you like totally floored. Uh, you're just 
you're just totally unimpressed because nothing has <laughs> nothing has like made you excited and then it's all just bad looking cgi yeah on no, top of that yeah. and, there, and there are some real stunts in here and there's a lot of good wire work and what have you but when it doesn't mean anything you know doesn't mean anything it's not like crouching and taking a dragon with there's so much emotion going on in all these scenes that you feel something that doesn't and you know that they're not really flying but it's it still works but this one is just like i don't care when is this movie gonna end <laughs> like what's gonna happen like and you keep thinking like oh is this dragon gonna show up in the dreams no not really <laughs> like is he gonna finally like you know fight the bad guys no he just scares them away to come back for the next movie i guess and so do you never get any any anything? It's like it's just kind of yeah, an empty empty feeling at the end. Wait, it's like what happened to my two hours? Oh well, very strange. <laughs> um, I wonder what M Night Shyamalan seems like a critical person of himself too. That I wonder what he thinks about this movie, like when it failed so big. How depressed and sad did he get? Or did he just jump right into the next one and was just like, I'm going to keep going? Like, Or do you have enough people at this point around you that they tell you that it's great and you just kind of don't listen to anyone else but them? And you're like, eh, I guess that was good. People just didn't understand it. They didn't get how great it was. It's, uh. <laughs> it's hard to tell. <laughs> it's hard to tell from what I've read about him in like interviews and in that book, The Man Who Heard Voices. It seems like, yeah, he is... He has very like high standards for himself, but at the same time, it does feel like he, at this point in his career, might have like retreated into like M Night Shyamalan world, where he's just kind of surrounded by people supporting whatever he does. Yeah. <clears throat> In our next episode, I believe is After Earth, correct? I believe so, wow. yes. Now, have you seen that one? I have not seen it. I didn't even know it was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> not even after I listened to like the How Did This Get Made episode of After Earth. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're deep into bad movie podcast territory in M. Night Shyamalan's career. And this is, it will be interesting because it's also a movie that was also where Will Smith was sort of in his bad movie, Spiral, Shame Spiral, <laughs> making terrible things, which and, he's still in currently, yeah. if you've seen Suicide Squad. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, so that'll be next month. Uh, is there any other things you want to say about The Last Airbender? The problem is it's just such a boring, nothing movie that I feel like you can't even be funny about it. Like, there's nothing to hold on to at all. And it's... Movie. um. Yeah, I don't really have anything more to say critically of the movie without just, like, bashing it. And the stuff I could talk about is just trying to figure out the... Uh, trying to figure out, like, little plot points and minutia about the worlds, which, like, all feels rushed, like in setting up uh, Harry Potter in the first movie, which I actually didn't care for the first time I saw it because it's two hours of exposition and then a half hour of plot at the end. But so much time and care went into creating this world. And they're just showing you like Hogwarts and the city 
and they want to get you to know about these things and then they will like hint at other things so that way when you're introduced to others like you already have this base to build on and here like okay there's the four worlds there's the benders and like oh there's these animals these crazy animals you have to train to learn how to master the bending element and there's magic fish <laughs> which i forget how that tied into anything Ooh, moonlight yeah yeah i don't know one was moonlight <laughs> one was sunlight and there should be like a lot of like spiritualism in this film and mysticism and there should be it's like fun fun action but yeah uh, i just yeah i wasn't into it and uh, I bet if I watched the cartoon, I might like that. The cartoon? Yeah. I think this is a very, I think you're going to forget this movie. I think in a few months, you're just going to not remember it, you, anything about it. If you ever did watch it again, it would be like watching it for the first time. <laughs> because like you'll, your brain will wipe it clean to, like, to move on to the next, next one. Uh, we'll see if After Earth is any better or any more memorable than The Last Airbender. Yeah, it's a very interesting period in M. Night Shyamalan's career. Now he's big, hundred-plus-million-dollar budget director guy. Yeah, and he, it seems like these are, you know, he's like a journeyman director, gun for hire, but he, even though this is based on a, you know, TV show, he still wrote the script. Mm -hmm. He wrote After Earth, which I had no idea. I thought for <laughs> sure that was like, oh, yeah, Shyamalan, we'll make a movie with you. Here's a script. And they just threw this crazy movie at him. But nope, that's his creation. So he's still, you know, <laughs> he's still a writer-director, but the, uh, the auteur veneer has kind of faded away. Will he get it back? We'll know in, a f in future episodes yeah. if, if he gets his auteurship back, uh, for better or worse. Um, well, I'm excited to go to After Earth. I think that'll be more interesting than this movie. Um, just from what I've heard, that it's sort of more, there's more going on than The Last Airbender, just sort of a boring mess. Because I don't think After Earth was going to be a first of five movies. I think it's a standalone thing. Uh, so you're not going to just have exposition dumped on you. Um, just want a quick shout out that we did halfway through this episode switch to a slightly cheap, but a lot cheaper scotch, but still very good. Of a uh, Chivas, Chivas. How do you say that? I would say, I would say uh, <laughs> Chivas. Chivas Regal Twelve Blended Scotch Whiskey. Uh, it's just a good uh, mid-range whiskey. It very, has a, very tasty. Yeah, it has kind of a sweet flavor to it. It is stronger in terms of uh, like the alcohol punch. <laughs> and if you do ever want to watch Les Airbender, you better believe you're going to want to have some alcohol to help you through that. Oh, Mostly just to yeah. forget so you can wake up in the morning and see the open DVD and be like, did I watch that? I don't remember. Okay, well, I'll just, you know, I'll say, say I did. That's how I watched Heaven's Gate. <laughs> I drank a whole 24-pack of Miller High Life, and at the end was like, I guess I watched that movie. Sure. I think I watched, I think I was stone cold sober when I watched Heaven's Gate. Oh, I 
<laughs> I know it has a lot of fans. It has a cult around it. I am not part of. <laughs> I'm not part of that cult. And I watch the like approved cut of it. You know, the re re edit or whatever. <laughs> I did not care for it. And I you and hey, I like movies that are quiet where nothing really happens in it. But you didn't like The Last Airbender, <laughs> so you don't like them all. Well, anyways, thanks for yeah, Thanks for listening. listening. Um, we're on Twitter, at The M Night Shift. Uh, you can interact with us there. Uh, please visit our website, themnightshift.com, where you can uh, stream and download the episodes. We're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, search Just search for us in the... Uh, iTunes Store. Uh, we're also on Stitcher Radio, where you can stream us uh, totally for free on all these platforms, of course. Uh, you can send us an email. Uh, we're vmnightshift at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you happen to be in Austin, uh, do stop by Vulcan Video and <laughs> uh, maybe skip The Last Airbender, but uh, there are many thousands, thousands of other choices for you to pick from. <laughs> and we both work on Wednesday, so come yeah. by. Fun times. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that is about it. Goodbye. All right. We'll see you in the new year. Oh, yes. Yeah. See you next year, I yeah. guess. We'll see you next year for After Earth. Oh, boy. Shyamalan twist.